Grace, mercy, and peace to us in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, today's message comes from our Old Testament reading with special emphasis on these words from Isaiah chapter 65 and verses 6 and 7. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord, because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. This prophecy comes at the end of the book of Isaiah, and in these last chapters, beginning with chapter 59, God speaks to his chosen people words of both judgment and redemption. In these final chapters, God condemns but shows mercy. He is vengeful yet proclaims the year of his favor. He judges but redeems and saves. And the point of all this is that God is just. He judges and condemns those who have turned away from him, and he saves those who remain true. For his servant's sake, for his chosen, for those who seek him and call to him, they shall possess the land and the mountains with pasture for their flocks and a place for their herds to lie down. Take note, the good end happily and the bad unhappily. According to Oscar Wilde, that is what is meant by fiction. But with God, this is no fiction. This is his true justice, and he will bring it to bear. Friends, we see here how the Lord is good to those who serve him and honor him, who fear and respect him. But also we see how men respond to his mercy and loving kindness. That is, with ingratitude and unfaithfulness, with disobedience and disrespect, and those who are unfaithful to him will know his wrath. He promises both judgment and mercy, even from the time of the Israelites' flight from Egypt during the Exodus. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing grace and every blessing to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. But we ask ourselves, is it right for God to punish the children for the sin of the fathers? But in answer to this question, I have unfortunate news. As the Bible affirms from the beginning to the end, and it is quite clear, and as our own life experiences testify, the sin of the fathers becomes the sin of the sons and the children. It is not a mere threat from God that he'll deliver punishment upon the children. Certainly he will. But when it comes time for that, They'll have deserved every bit of it. And this is because they're born into the ways of their fathers and trained in those ways. It's called enculturation. Think about it. When it comes to living within a particular culture, we're all like Cheerios and milk, as we heard before. How long does it take before the Cheerios that are sitting in a bowl become just like the milk? You can't tell a difference between the cereal and the milk. That milk is our culture. And when we sit in the bowl and we absorb it until one day can heart, you can't even tell the difference between us and that culture, between our thoughts and culturally popular thought, between our worldview and culturally popular worldviews. That culture is handed down to us from our forebears, our fathers, and we're handing it down to our own children. 
Let's look in our passage at the practices that the Hebrew children inherited from their fathers. Isaiah 65, starting right about verse 2, the second portion. They walk in ways that are not good. They follow their own devices. They provoke God to his face continually. They sacrifice in gardens. They make offerings on bricks. They sit in tombs, spending the night in secret places, eating pig's flesh and vessels of tainted meat. The significance of some of these things may be lost on us today. Sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks is kind of obscure. But what Isaiah is talking about is idol worship. Sitting in tombs, spending the night in secret places, these refer to death cult practices and necromancy. And we know that the Jewish people aren't allowed to eat pork. All these they do anyway. And all these sins culminate in this last one there in verse 5. I'll pull it out again. They say to God, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. Yes, they're too holy for God. They have better ideas. And this is the attitude people get when they no longer listen to God, but to their own voices instead. They become gods unto themselves. They claim to know without any counsel from the word of God, Right from wrong, good from bad, just from unjust. Now here, during the time that Isaiah is prophesying, the people are mixing with other nations and ethnicities. These, they, they do not follow the Lord, but they follow other gods instead. And they're introducing those foreign gods into their own worship. They know better than to think there's only one way to salvation. They say, there are many gods here, that very fine people worship in very sincere ways. They know better than to think that they must comply with God's law. They say, surely a righteous God will not punish an innocent person. They know better than to trust his word and his promises. They say, what has this God done for us lately? Why should we fear him? When have we ever seen his judgment? God promises here in this passage to judge such persons and to measure just payment into their laps. And what we see here is a principle at work. What is that principle? Well, in illustration, I'll call to mind a government anti-smoking campaign from the late 60s and early 70s. Some of you might remember it. It showed scenes of a father and a son doing things together, throwing the ball in the park, washing the car, fixing a lawnmower, whatever it was. The voiceover, the narrator says, like father, like son. But suddenly we're jarred with the image of that kid reaching over and grabbing a cigarette from his dad's pack, putting it to his lips and pretending to smoke. That's the principle here. Like father, like son. And as I was saying before, it's not just that God has proclaimed this, that he will repay both the people's iniquities and their father's iniquities together, but it's absolutely inherent to the way God created nature itself. Our children learn from us. They use us as examples. And they live in the culture we create. We bear responsibility for them, and we are responsible to them, and not just to them, but to the world they inhabit, and to the world that their children will inhabit. They suffer for our iniquities when we fail to teach them what is right, good, and salutary, and so will their children. And we can all look back to the last century, see a lot of things going wrong. What was it? War, rebellion, 
moral decay. And we see how those things have contributed to the mess our world is in right now. And it shows us just how important it is that fathers train up their children in the way that they should go. Now, I was going to go through a whole litany of things that are wrong with this world, but I suspect that we all know them pretty well already. I will say that I'm often very disturbed when I go back and recollect on my former self. Some of you in this congregation knew me before I was a Christian. I thought I was a pretty good person. I was sober. I worked hard. I was fair in my judgments. I didn't steal, lie, or cheat. But sometimes, every once in a while, I'll catch sight of a movie that I had seen back then or some television show that I used to watch, and I thought it was all right. It really isn't. I'm amazed at how awful this stuff is, how scandalous the content is. I never recognized it before because I was in that culture. I hadn't been separated from it. I was that Cheerio, soaking in the culture and becoming conformed to it. I was partnered with the culture, for at one time I was in darkness, and here I'm channeling St. Paul in Ephesians. For one time I was in darkness, and I was taking part in unfruitful works of darkness, not looking carefully how I walked, not making the best use of my time. And the days were evil. The days were evil, and I was not walking, paying attention to how I was walking. Believe me, with respect to evil days, Things haven't exactly gotten any better since the 60s and 70s. We live in a decadent world. The Bible, from first to last, attests to this fact. The world began to decay from the moment of the fall, and men's efforts to reverse this trend are and will be futile. And against the principalities and powers of this world, namely the devil and all of his minions, our weapons are useless. Useless. To suggest otherwise is to call God a liar. The false gospel of social justice, that is, justice based on the values of men, is a lie. The false gospel of coexistence, or ecumenicalism, that is, a gospel based on the idea that all paths lead to the same God, that is a lie. The false gospel of some kind of man-made peace on earth is a lie. Mankind is not capable of overcoming Satan. Mankind is not even interested in overcoming Satan. Mankind is a friend to Satan who wreaks havoc on this earth and will continue to do so until the end of days. And men are no longer ashamed of their wickedness. They used to fear God, and when their evil deeds were exposed in the light, they scurried like cockroaches. Now, if you can imagine walking into a room, everybody's walked into a cockroach-infested room, turn on the light and seen them scurry. Can you imagine them? You turn on the light, they just sit there? What? You know? They're moving their shameful deeds into the light where everyone can see, without shame, with no fear of God's wrath. And dare we say that they fully expect you to get on board with their program. This is the expectation they have. Look at all the things our society now does in the name of good. They call it good. And tell me, does God appreciate this? Does he appreciate it? When we encourage, when we encourage women to murder their own children in the womb. Not just allow it, encourage it. 
Does he appreciate it when we deliberately confuse our children as they wrestle with their already confused notions of who they are in the world, their sexuality, and what is the difference between right and wrong? Deliberately confuse them. Does he appreciate it when we, we reject his created order and create instead an altogether new concept of ourselves, confusing gender roles, and all based on how we, not he, identifies us? Our own brand new inventions. How does this not look like walking in ways that are not good, following our own devices, and provoking God to his face continually? We are apparently too holy for God. We have better ideas. And this is the attitude we get when we no longer listen to God, but to our own voices instead. We become gods unto ourselves. We claim to know without any counsel from God and the word of God, right from wrong, good from bad, just from unjust. We know better than to think that there's only one way to salvation. We know better than to think that we must comply with God's law. And we know better than to trust his word and his promises. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is our application of the text today. These iniquities of the Israelites are also our iniquities. They come to us directly from our fathers who handed us down the ways of men instead of the ways of God. And God is measuring payment into our laps, and he's doing it right now. The iniquity, the wrongdoing, this is the punishment itself. We become trapped in our own vices. God removes his protective hedge from around us and gives us over to our own base desires. As it is written, and this is right from Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to us because we have been shown and we are without excuse. We have not honored God or given thanks to him. We have become futile in our thinking, and our foolish hearts are darkened. Claiming to be wise, we are fools. And God has given us up to the lusts of our hearts and to impurity, to the dishonoring of our bodies among one another in dishonorable passions, women exchanging natural relations for those contrary to nature, and men likewise committing shameless acts with one another. And even though we know God's righteous decree, and that those who practice such things deserve the ultimate punishment. And I will refer you to the final verse of Romans 1 to find out what that punishment is and what we deserve. We not only do them ourselves, but we give approval to those who do. Give approval to those who do. What in the name of God are we celebrating? I suspect that we're celebrating our independence from God. And this is what we're proud of in Pride Month? That we know better how to care for our neighbor and love him than God does? If we love them so much, why don't we warn them of the wrath to come? You know, tell them the truth. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. In giving us our passage from the prophet Isaiah today, 
The Lord does not have in mind some sappy, sweet Father's Day message where we we raise our fathers up on a pedestal and extol their many virtues. Many of us have had, or by the grace of God still have, fine fathers, virtuous and balanced men, upright, who deserve a lot of credit for the people that we are today. And we're thankful for that. We are certainly thankful for that. Some of us may not have had that particular experience, and that is certainly a pity. But whichever is the case, those men were and are, like us, all sinners. And those sins are coming home to roost more and more rapidly as every day, month, and year wear on toward that final day of judgment to come. And this world is coming to an end. And it will be judged. It is moving surely and inexorably toward its final moment when Christ will come again. It's not going to be pretty. It certainly isn't very pretty right at the present moment. It will, however, be glorious. Those of us who heed his word, who have been baptized, believe on Christ and pray. We are those who shall inherit the new heavens and the new earth, just like those at the end of our passage in Isaiah that remnant who shall have pasture for their flocks and a place for their herds to lie down, we shall find our eternal home. But we must, as Christians, we must recognize our sin. We must acknowledge it and come clean. We must know it and we must confess it. In the name of Christ, I call upon us all to repent. Repent. Christ suffered and died on the cross to pay for our sins, which are many. Even though we've made a mess of this world that he created, and in our attempts to make it better by our own machinations, we just continue to make a horrible mess of it. Through our confession and repentance, we are absolved of those sins through the glory of Jesus Christ. Alleluia. He rose again from the dead, thus proving that he is the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He now sits at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subjected to him. Unlike ours, his weapons are not useless against evil, and he wields them with power and might to defend us from all danger and to guard and protect us from all evil. We pray. Dear Father in heaven, on this Father's Day, make us better fathers to our children and better stewards of this world. We want to cast off our rebellious nature. We want to serve you in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. We want to be rescued from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation, to experience in our final hours a blessed end and to be taken from this valley of sorrow to you in heaven. This you promise to do for us who repent and believe, who have been baptized into your name and who call upon it in faith and confidence trusting that you alone provide all good things and that you show mercy to your beloved. Pray, give us the wisdom and the courage to raise our children in the light of your truth and to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.